Hello, and welcome to the Canine Conversations podcast, where we're positively obsessed with behavior. Join certified dog trainers as we discuss case studies, explore training concepts, and interview experts in the field of behavior. Today's episode includes myself, Marissa Martino, owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training in Boulder, Colorado, and he's back. We had such a great time recording our first episode that we decided to record another one. So without further ado, I am joined today by the amazing Dr. Chris Pockel, board certified vet behaviorist. Welcome to the podcast. It's exciting to be back. Uh, you're right. We had such a great time on that first one that when, when you reached out and said, hey, uh, should we do this again? I was like, yes, let's book it. Let's do it. Let's make it happen. So thank you for the invitation. Oh, thank you for your time. We love having you. So in our last episode together, we joked, but not really, about releasing an app called What Would Dr. Pockle Say? And we got a lot of great feedback from listeners, which I thought was great. We unfortunately are not delivering an app today, even though many <laughs> told me that they would buy it. Instead, we're going to be talking about this concept on the podcast, which I figured was the next best thing. So today, Dr. Pockle and I are going to walk through several common scenarios that most trainers behavior consultants face in their private practices. We're going to hear how Dr. Pockle would handle it. So let's get started. In the first scenario, we're going to explore my favorite topic. And it's my favorite because sometimes I struggle with it. So I always love to learn more about setting expectations for our client. I would love to hear how Dr. Pockle sets his expectations for clients in order to support the training and behavior modification process. So Tell me. Awesome. What would like Dr. say? <laughs> the digital download here, right? We're just gonna we're gonna just gonna pump it on in. Um, you know, well, we uh, just to, to recap for those people who did not listen or haven't yet listened to the first podcast, some of what we do in the practice, at least for expectation setting, is covered there. So I just want to, if they haven't listened to that yet, that might be a great thing to to also listen to when they have a moment. Because for us in the practice, a lot of the expectation setting happens before the client ever meets me. Mm -hmm. Right. A lot of that is sort of, it's started, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's moved forward. It's, it's, um, yeah, started with the client and whether it's a phone conversation or an email conversation. Uh, so by the time they get to me, I'm not starting fresh, mm -hmm. but this is a really important thing because then if I, if the client walks in and if then I give them some uh, different information mm -hmm. compared to what my staff has already given them, we're going to be, we're going to be in trouble mm -hmm. a little bit. So, so making sure that however, you know, the, the listeners uh, facilitate those early conversations with their clients, making sure that the consistency is there so that we're not changing those expectations, uh, at least without some advance notice for the clients. Mm -hmm. So keeping that in mind, um, what I typically do when I'm starting a consult, especially with a new client, somewhere where we're really just getting started, we're going into a diagnostic assessment, we're making a new relationship both with that animal as well as with the client, one of the first things that I will do in most of my cases is, is let them know basically what, what the outline is for that particular appointment. And for me, I think about it in sort of three phases. And, I, and this is literally how I describe it to my clients. I'll let them know my goal for our session today is to work through a lot of this information in three phases. First phase is gathering information. You've got a lot of information to share, speaking to the client. Um, I want to know as much of that information 
as I need to know in order to move us into phase two, which is the point where my brain sort of clicks into alignment and I say, yeah, I think this makes sense. Mm -hmm. I think I've got a good understanding of the, the variables, the goals, the, the, the behavioral uh, patterns that we're seeing for your particular pet. And I'm able to then turn this a little around, if you will. So rather than gathering, now I'm sharing. And that's the opportunity for me to share with the client which patterns we're seeing, how this fits together, and providing those moments of insight that allows them to have a better understanding of the animal that's there in front of them. Mm -hmm. And then that, once we get to a point where we're clear and we said, you know, are there any additional questions? Do we do, you know, are there any little details that we need to smooth out here? Then that moves us into part three or phase three, which is then planning. And so it's, it's um, ironically, I remember it by the initials GSP. Not that I've got a thing for German short hair pointers, but for whatever reason, <laughs> it sticks out in my mind. Uh, so it's gathering, sharing, and then planning. And I let the clients know that at that point, um, throughout this process, but especially when we get to planning, this is a collaborative effort. Mm -hmm. The best plan that we create together is the one that I feel is going to work for whatever issues we're trying to address. And the client feels confident and comfortable with implementation. If that means that that plan needs to be smaller at first in order for the client to feel confident and comfortable, then that's the best plan for today. Mm -hmm. If they've got a greater skill set or they're a bit more advanced, that plan might be a bit more detailed or a bit more extensive. And in that case, then that's the best plan. Mm -hmm. But I'm trying to gauge their comfort and their confidence throughout the entire process to make sure that they're going to be able to do it as best we can in that beginning stage. Uh, and so setting that expectation right, usually within the first two to three minutes of the appointment, is a great way to give them an overview of what we're there to accomplish. And I let them know that that usually takes about an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. So they have a, a timeline expectation. Mm -hmm. They know not only the, the logistics of it, but then also if they're, if they're crunching numbers on, okay, he charges X amount per hour and it's an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah they get that confidence right then and there that they know exactly what they're starting out with, what we're going to do throughout the entire session and how we're going to wrap that up. So mm -hmm. that's typically how we start at the beginning of a, of a new appointment. So I have a few things to say. One is I love this process. I love it because one, it's a framework for all sessions with the client really. And then it's also a framework for how the client is engaging with the animal, right? Like they're gathering information, they're sharing, like there's, there's a dialogue between the two and then they're planning. So I love that there's this really big emphasis on being curious with the client. And then it's, it's also embodying or um, living into the example for the client to be curious with the dog. So I, I love that, that there's this, just really simple, easy framework that it puts the client at ease. They, they know what to expect. So it's great. I love it. There's a tremendous amount of versatility within it. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you think about you know, really good listening skills, for example, it's the same framework. Mm -hmm. You have to listen first. You have to then sort of share, make sure you're on the same page. We're talking exactly. about the same things. And then it is, and especially if we're working in a collaborative way, mm -hmm. then, then we move into that process together where we're meeting each other where the other is. Yeah. And we move forward together, walking more sort of side by side, arm in arm. Yeah. Rather than any sort of hierarchy or, you know, anything that resembles that. So it's, it's incredibly, sure. incredibly versatile. 
And when you're talking about planning, do you provide, do you ask specifics about, you know, like what, what is the time commitment that you have? And then that will determine, you know, what exercises we're going to do or what, what I'm going to be assigning you today. Um, or do you start talking about the exercises, see how that lands with the person and then collaborate from there? It really yeah, it's, it's both. It kind of depends on where we're at. And, mm -hmm. and, and I, I try to, to, to read between the lines a little bit based on the information that the client has either provided ahead of mm -hmm. time or perhaps, you know, kind of what's coming, coming through within the consult. Yeah. You know, if I have a client who, you know, all of the dialogue is around sort of how busy they are, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I, you know, I just can't do one more thing. Then that's a plan where I'm really going to, as best I can, try to integrate that within the daily flow of life without yeah. feeling like we're adding on. Exactly. But at the same token, if I, if this is a dog who actually needs specific skills, mm -hmm. you know, as most of our listeners are going to know, it's really difficult to teach skills on the fly. On the fly. You know, we're yeah. asking the animal to generalize in the process of learning. And that's, that's a lot harder. Mm -hmm. And so if, if that means that I then have to say, Hey, guess what? In the early side of this, I do anticipate that we're going to need to set aside some time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what I'll even do is, is, is say, you know, if I asked you to set aside an hour a day, what would you, you know, what would your response be? And I'm often exaggerating the amount of time that, that I think the client is going to need for two specific reasons. One, I want to find out what they're actually comfortable with. I don't want to sort of start low and then barter up. Yeah. I'd rather start high and barter down. <laughs> yeah, totally. And the other thing about that is that I want to gauge how comfortable is the client telling me no. Mm. I want the client to get that moment where whether it's a facial expression, whether it's body language or whether it's verbally saying, hey, I can't do that. Mm -hmm. I'm actually, in many of my cases, especially early on in, in, in this relationship process, I want the client to be comfortable enough saying, that's not going to work for me. Mm -hmm. I want them to feel that power, if yeah. you will. I want to, to empower them to the point where they feel like they, they actually have an active voice within this process. Mm -hmm. And I would much rather create a scenario where they have the ability to, to tell me no, and we work through that very quickly and very easily, rather than getting a client who's sitting there head nodding the entire way. Yes. They're giving very easy yeses, but I'm not actually getting a behavior change. Yes. I would rather someone say no to me and then we work from there than them just sort of nod in yes, because I don't, exactly I right. feel so lost in what they're experiencing and we need them on board to make this happen. So yes. yeah, that's, that's great. And so I try to create those, you know, moments that would be one way in terms of sort of the expectation of time or commitment. That might be one scenario where we can create a no answer. Mm -hmm. um, in other cases, you know, especially, um, you know, if, if I'm working with, let's say it's a dog who is really comfortable and social and gregarious and outgoing, I may even describe to them as we're getting started that as we're working through this information, if I share something with you about my impression of your dog and it just does not resonate with you, I want you to let me know. So for example, if I'm looking at this dog that again is, is social, wiggly and soft mm -hmm. and I say, gosh, your dog right now is an, in just an incredible ball of stress. I can't believe how your dog is functioning because mm -hmm. of all this fear, anxiety. And, and if that doesn't connect with you, because yeah. that's clearly not what we're seeing here, yeah. 
I need you to hit the pause button and I need you to let me know that that does not in fact resonate. And what I'm usually doing, even if I'm not getting an actual no from the client at that point, what I'm usually getting is a bit of a, you know, a laugh or a mm -hmm. smile or an acknowledgement that, mm -hmm. yeah, 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 I'll, I'll stop you if you're going off track, right? So, so again, from that empowerment and that collaborative uh, aspect of what we're doing, we're creating a relationship that, that allows everybody in the room to have a voice and to freely be able to jump in and share that information at any point in the process, rather than creating an environment where I'm on the other side of the room in my white coat and, you know, creating this expert scenario where I have a client who's just expected to listen and then walk away and do mm -hmm. that. That doesn't work for me. Yeah. I want the collaboration and setting up those expectations right from the get go. Yeah. Awesome. While we're on the topic of expectation setting, there's a couple of other things that we tend to do within the behavior clinic that, I, that may be relevant for the listeners here to, to, to think on and see if it works for them as well. One is, again, as we get into that sort of planning section of the, of the appointment, that's the point where I, again, sort of think I want to make sure that the client understands the direction that we're going in. I know how overwhelming it can be when you're learning something new to hear you know, a list of 12 different recommendations and your brain is trying to organize and think, how am I going to possibly do all of this? And I find for my clients that when we get to the point of actually creating that plan together, I'll let them know that for every plan that we create together, there's going to be three main components. And we'll often refer to this as a three-pronged approach. And I'll let them know that first and foremost, I'm approaching that plan from the standpoint of what skills or emotional responses does the learner need to have, whether we're talking about a dog or a cat or a person for that matter? What's the skills that we're looking for? You know, what are the deficiencies perhaps that we've identified for that animal? Where are they struggling? What do they need to learn? That's the behavior mod piece of what we're doing. And I love leading out with that rather than perhaps leading out with the safety and management stuff like I used to do. And we can get into that a little bit more if, uh, if we want. But the reason I, I like leading there is, that, is then that allows me to say, you know, this process of teaching new skills and learning new responses, it's going to take some time. In the meantime, until your dog or cat is ready to tackle those situations comfortably, let's do the best job we can to keep your dog out of those situations that are more than what they can handle. Um, and when I find that, I, that I'm sh uh, shifting them in that direction, behavior mod first, management second, I get a lot fewer questions about all of those management details. Uh, because the client's like, yeah, that makes sense. Anything they're not ready for yet? Yeah, we'll just avoid that for right now. Versus when I lead out with management, I used to get a lot of pushback from my clients because for many of them, they've been managing for a very, very long time. And if I lead out with, hey, the first recommendation is to avoid the situations that are more than your dog can handle. I see this look on their faces like, really? That's what we're going to talk about while I'm yeah, here? Yeah, yeah. I'm here to move this forward. I'm here to do better. And so I want to lead with better and then fill in the details on management. And this is all part of this three-pronged approach. So behavior mod first, yes, in the meantime, management's going to be really, really important until your dog or cat has the ability to, to navigate these situations successfully. Mm -hmm. And third prong, if we decide that your dog is struggling, 
then we have the opportunity to, to talk about medication details and whether we've already identified some of these, these struggles based on what you've done already or whether this is something we identify as we move forward into treatment, that's where that comes into play. But I'm not medicating the primary problem. I'm using medication to facilitate the gathering of skills and emotional responses. Mm -hmm. And it's this three-pronged approach that all works together and what I'll tell the clients is as we're creating this, this plan, the recommendations are going to be structured in that exact way. What are the skills? How are we keeping your dog out of trouble? And then how are we supporting that entire process? And I find that the client's perspective on that really cements itself much more solidly than if I just give them a running list from 1 to 12 or 1 to mm -hmm. 5 or 1 to 30. So that structure, again, just like we talked about in that gather, share, plan at the beginning of the appointment, yep. this is now sort of breaking down the plan into its own three components. Yeah. So that for me is a, is a really helpful way to think about that piece. And, 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 and yet there's still this collaboration, right? So if I'm working with a client and we're trying to set these expectations, I want them to understand that their input is really, really important. And the things that they are trying to accomplish is ultimately what we focus on. And in some cases that may even uh, translate to, to me sort of almost talking around the issue a little bit until the client starts to fill in the treatment plan on their own. And, and that's especially important in cases where perhaps the client is a bit resistant to, to the, the plan that we're creating, or they may have sort of different ideas about what this is going to, to look like for them. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm, I'm trying without necessarily verbalizing it quite so explicitly within this expectation setting piece, I'm trying to create scenarios where they're able to fill in the plan for themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think if I'm not mistaken, we're going to get to some of these other scenarios too, where, where we're navigating some difficulties between, let's say, my recommendations and the client yeah. perspective. So we'll touch base on that a little bit more, but some of this is even right from the beginning as we're setting expectations for how this conversation or collaboration is going to proceed. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Thank you. That was great. So we're going to move on to the next scenario. So in this second scenario, we're faced with a client that feels resistance to the training process. We're assuming this because he is stating things like, yeah, but, and I tried what you said and it didn't work. I did not realize I had to put so much time and effort into this process. Notice I said we're assuming we are assumption-making machines. So it's important to make sure that we're thinking that what we're thinking is actually another person's reality. So with that said, how would you address this client? Yeah, there's a couple of things. And I love those two scenarios that you mentioned, the yeah, but scenario, mm -hmm. and especially, yeah, I tried that already. Those are two of my favorite scenarios. Even though I've been in those situations where I make this, what I think is a brilliant recommendation, and the client goes, <laughs> yeah, mm. maybe not. And I'm thinking, <laughs> didn't, didn't you, didn't Did you, you hear, hear it? how brilliant that was? Like, weren't you listening? How could you possibly not just be jumping yeah. up and down in your seat right now? Totally. And yet you're not. So, um, so there's a couple of communication things here for me. So the first one on that yeah, but client, if I get that yeah, but reaction in whatever way it comes through and it mm -hmm. can sound, um, you know, it can come through in a couple of different ways. What I'm likely to do is say, that's awesome. You've already thought about this. 
Can you tell me a little bit more about when, when you felt that, mm, I don't think this is going to work? What is the first obstacle that popped into your head? What is the roadblock? What is the speed bump that popped into your head? What was that? Maybe we can navigate that. Maybe we can't. Mm-hmm. What I find for many of my clients is that when I ask them to verbalize, what is the actual obstacle? What is the, the, the roadblock? What's the obstacle? You know, what, what, do we need, what do we need to overcome in order for that to work? Many of them are unable to do so. And mm. what I find for many of them is, yeah, but is a reaction to you're asking me to do something new and different mm-hmm. and scary. And that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. So yeah, but I don't think that's going to work for us. Yes. It's not, it might not be about the technique. It's yeah, I'm learning something new and that's uncomfortable and that's not working for us. Bingo. Yeah. And so if if I get the sense that the client says, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just don't think that I may talk around the issue a little bit and say, you know, Hey, well, I I don't know if it's going to work either, but can we try it? Can we try maybe even just for the next two minutes or for the next five minutes or the, Mm -hmm. the next week? Can we try it? If it works, that's great information. Mm-hmm. If it's not working, that's going to tell me something about your dog. And I'm really careful in those cases where if I think that the owner is resistant because they're scared or worried or nervous, yeah. I tend to talk a lot about the dog and the things that I'm learning about the dog's learning style and how the dog is responding. So I'm trying to take a lot of that pressure off of the client to feel like they are the one who is the obstacle in this, in this mm-hmm. scenario. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to try to, to, to give them an opportunity to say, well, you know, again, I don't know if this is going to work, but can we try it? And I'm asking permission. I'm creating an opportunity even to say, again, this is going to tell me something about your dog. And if it isn't working for us, then the information that we gather from this is really going to help me narrow in on what the actual solution might end up being. Yeah. So can we try it? Not, not asking for a lifelong commitment here, not asking yeah. you to change your lifestyle, but can we try? And I, I like that you're giving them like, can we try for the next five minutes? Can we try for two days and touch base? Because it, that is nice to give them a little parameter in terms of, okay, I'm just asking you to feel uncomfortable maybe for just two days and report back, right? Versus them feeling like they're going to be uncomfortable till who knows when, like this long question mark. So yes, I love that there's parameters. We know, we're in the business of behavior change, right? So we yep. know that when we have to step outside of our comfort level, it is uncomfort, you know, uncomfortable. Like that's... Yep. That's the definition, right? You're outside of your comfort yeah, zone. Totally. So it is uncomfortable. Yeah. There is discomfort. And yet, once we do that, and once that starts to feel normal, the discomfort goes away. Mm-hmm. That's just what happens. And so mm-hmm. if I can get the owner to commit to even a short-term discomfort without necessarily having to name it in quite that way, mm-hmm. we may be able to then move on much more effectively from that point forward. Mm-hmm. And I also find, you know, in that, that other, the, the second uh, scenario that you described from the client perspective, when they say, oh, I tried that, it didn't work for us. My response to that may be something along the lines of, I am so grateful that you've tried it already. That means a lot of these details are already super familiar to you. That's going to make it so much faster for us to tease out why Sparky didn't respond the way we think he should. So again, mm-hmm. I'm turning it back to the, the, the dog in this case. 
So let, let's tease that out. Let's pick apart kind of what you did and how okay. it worked to find mm-hmm. out why, again, why Sparky didn't respond. Yeah. And what I usually find when I do that, as, as many of our listeners can probably acknowledge, is that when we actually tease out the implementation mm-hmm. of the technique, often there's major flaws, either in consistency or timing or reinforcement time, you know, something that, mm-hmm. that we can say, huh, well, that's curious. I wonder if we did it a little bit differently, whether Sparky yeah. would respond differently. And so again, we're creating this curiosity, we're creating this interest, but I'm not just saying, well, I'm sure you did it wrong. And so let's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> total motivation let's do it right this time and maybe, maybe it'll work. Yeah. It's about uncovering that. And, and then this is a scenario too, where if I'm, if I'm teasing that out and trying to identify why it didn't work, that maybe something where the client, um, was, you know, let's, let's say we're talking about a reactive dog, for example, oftentimes they're working much higher over threshold than what the learner can actually handle. Yeah. And so if I'm able to create an understanding of that by their descriptions of how they would have navigated that, you know, dog coming down the street at them, I may say, you know, I'm, I'm so grateful that you have all of that detail. You have so much experience with this technique. I often find that, you know, as we get into this training, making some little minor adjustments can make a big difference. Are you open to tweaking this a little bit and seeing mm-hmm. whether or not Sparky responds better this time around? If he doesn't, we'll move on to a different technique. But I've got a hunch here that we're onto something based on X, Y, and Z. Are you open to that? Yeah. And so I'm asking this, you know, the, are, are you open? Can we do this? And it's, it's almost a permission question. Mm-hmm that when we go in that direction and truly ask, even though sometimes it seems silly to ask, can I share? But when we do that, it creates an immediate openness, even mm-hmm. just for a brief moment for the client. And we have yeah. the opportunity in some cases to talk about things that are perhaps a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I also find um, in some of those situations where I'm getting resistance from the client, Sometimes they have a really strongly held belief about what's going on. And whether that's the reason why a particular problem is happening, or maybe it's a really strongly held belief about a particular technique, Mm -hmm. uh, whether we're talking about big categories of, let's say, punishment versus reinforcement, or perhaps, uh, you know, a a very strongly held belief about a tool like a, like a pinch collar or a prong collar or the shot collar or the head collar or the the front attached harness or whatever it happens to be, Mm -hmm. there's resistance because they've got an, an emotionally held belief about something that's involved in our treatment plan and something that I've, I've learned over the years, both in, in sort of studying these aspects and also talking with some brilliant minded people is that when people have emotionally held beliefs, all the data in the world mm-hmm. does not typically change the emotionally held belief. Yeah. Challenging that belief doesn't work either. Nope. <laughs> In most cases, I find we, we have to actually uncover where did that belief come, come from. from. Mm-hmm. And, we, and, and, and it, oftentimes it's actually it's as simple, not easy, but it's as simple as asking them. Mm-hmm. You, know, I, you know, you've been utilizing, let's say it's a pinch collar, and maybe it's, this is a case where I want to be able to move them onto a different piece of equipment. 
And I may say, you know, I can see that this seems to be working well for you. I may ask some detailed questions. Where were you introduced to that? What about this particular tool seems to work well for you? How do you feel around this particular aspect of the plan? And mm -hmm. seeing if we can uncover some additional details. And if I can get to the reason why, for example, this may be a client who says, you know, I, I feel like I have more control over the animal when I'm using this particular tool. Awesome. Now that tells me a tremendous amount of information that if I want to shift them over to a different tool, I have to be able to match that same level of control that they're feeling when they're using the tool that's already in their hands. Mm -hmm. And unless I do that, I'm not going to change their mind. Mm -hmm. So I have to be able to kind of uncover where that feeling state is without diving too much into the emotional baggage that may go along with that or the emotional weight of that but I can uncover where that comes from to figure out then, are they open to trying something different if I can recreate that or acknowledge that emotional state in a slightly different way? Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for sharing with that because I, I know that a lot of our listeners, scenario two is a really common scenario for most of our listeners. And I think it's really important to bring that level of curiosity and compassion for the client. Like as I'm sitting here listening to you, a lot of what you're doing is bringing so much kindness to the client. And what came up for me was that um, I, I was in a session with a puppy parent like a few months ago and they kept saying things like, I want him to stop biting. I want him to stop jumping. I want him to stop pulling. I want him to stop sniffing. I mean, they were really very hard on this puppy. And I noticed my, I like, I like reached for my compassion and it wasn't there. And that's when I realized I'm like, Oh, you know, I need, I need to take a break. Like I, I need to just not take on clients for like two weeks or, so, or whatever it looks like because it's so important that we bring that compassion and that kindness and that curiosity for our people clients, because you're right, that's how we get the behavior change. So I just, the common thread throughout this is just a lot of kindness and curiosity. And I, I really appreciate that. And I, I think that's a good barometer for us to check in with ourselves. Like, do we have that available to give to our clients? Um, I'm sure it varies on degrees on certain days, but, um, definitely incorporating it as part of our process is really important. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. And I, and I think what, you know, what you're emphasizing there too is, is so important. Just the aspect of no matter what, no matter what our skill level, no matter what our training, no matter what our mm -hmm. certification leading with kindness and empathy mm -hmm. doesn't mean we have to be soft in what we're doing. It doesn't mean we can't be very declarative at times, but we can always do that with kindness. Mm -hmm. It's always possible. Mm -hmm. And if it isn't, that's often saying something more about yeah. ourselves. Check in. And like yeah. That, yeah I, I, I need that break. I need a little bit of a, a, a breather. I need uh -huh. perspective. I need to bounce some ideas off a colleague. Yeah. I, I need you know, throw out a lifeline. I'm struggling here uh -huh. to find that kindness moment. What's next? But that yeah. has a lot more to do with us than it does the client. Absolutely. And those particular clients were just first time puppy owners. They were just really frustrated with this little land shark that was living in their house. And I get it. I just, it was such a clear moment for me, like in the session, I was like, oh wow, I need a little bit of a break. 
I think. Um, and so I think that that's okay. And I guess I just want to emphasize that to folks that, you know, we're, it's okay to, to notice that about yourself and, and want to take a break. Absolutely. So we're going to move on to scenario three. So in the third scenario, we're faced with a client that is asking a trainer or behavior consultant what to do regarding medication for their dog. So the client might ask the trainer things like, does my dog need medication? What medication would you suggest? I don't want my dog to be drugged up. Uh, what should we do about the dosage? When should we increase it? Like all these sort of questions that, you know, really are not designed for a trainer or behavior consultant. So uh, I want to see what would Dr. Pockle suggest in this scenario? Yeah, and this is probably the most common scenario that I hear when I'm when I'm lecturing or speaking or mm -hmm. engaging in any sort of group conversation with trainers or behavior consultants. This comes up over and over. Yeah, um, and it's it is so common, and I get it. I mean, even in in my practice. I may see that dog one time and then I'm matching them up with one of the trainers uh, that works within my practice. Mm -hmm. So they get so much more face time with the trainers yeah, yeah, yeah. than they may with me. So that familiarity, the comfort is there, the mm -hmm. opportunity is there to raise those questions as they occur to the client. And the client is not always thinking, who is the best person to answer this? Yes, exactly. They're asking the person that's directly in front of them. Mm -hmm. And so how we navigate those situations is, is really, really important. Um, I think for me, uh, one of the, the things that, that's, that's helpful here is to have sort of a canned, rehearsed answer that is incredibly versatile. And it's sort of a lead in almost to buy you a little bit of time to be able to get that word out confidently to then transition in whatever way needs to happen. And what I mean by that, so thinking about specific words, is if a client asks almost any of those questions that you just listed off, one answer might be, that's a great question for your vet. Do you need any help sharing that information with the veterinary team mm -hmm. who prescribed that medication for your dog? And immediately it sets the stage that I'm not the one to answer that, but I can help you. I can help do, you, yeah. Do, do you need any help sharing that information mm -hmm. with the veterinary team? And it also kind of provides that redirect that this is a question that in fact should be directed back to the owner. And what I like about it is that we are in fact answering the client's question. So the client doesn't feel they weren't listened to or that they're not sure where to go. But we're also not just saying, I'm not the one to do that. And then moving on. Yeah. Right? The, the, the redirect yeah. is there. So we're, 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 we're creating behavior change. We're teaching them this would be an option for you. This would be a place to direct that question. And I'm more than happy to help you with that. So having some sort of a, a kind of a canned rehearsed answer um, may actually be really helpful for people to have. And that would be one option. What I'm stressing within that too is, is sometimes what might be referred to as staying in our lanes. Mm -hmm. And I know it's really easy. And again, I've had hundreds of these conversations now over the last couple of years, especially. It's very easy sometimes to think about staying in our lanes as some sort of artificial vertical hierarchy. Like there's a trainer, then there's yeah. a behavior consultant, yeah. and then you've got a veterinarian, and then you've got a veterinary behaviorist, and that we're escalating through some vertical hierarchy, and that we have to sort of keep everybody else down or, you know, 
be territorial yeah. about who gets to say which things. Yeah. That's not the way that I think about it. You know, I think about it as, you know, what is my level of expertise? So as a veterinary behaviorist, as an example, I have veterinary training. I have psychopharmacology training. I have training, training and behavior mm-hmm. modification training. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that potentially are within my lane. And they're also under my licensure. So there's things that I can speak to with a client that I'm qualified and licensed to be able to do. When it comes to certain things, especially surrounding medication, the conversation can get a little sticky. And ultimately, any changes that are made to a prescription need to be handled by the individual who is doing the prescribing. There's legal ramifications for doing it any way other than that. Um, in terms of veterinary practice acts and things of that nature, it's also making it easier for that veterinary team to actually guide the client in a way that may be really helpful. And what I'm trying to focus on there too is is making sure that that everybody understands their their role and their lane and how it complements the big picture of treatment. Not by saying, oh, you don't get to talk about meds, but rather to say there are details that unless you are trained as a physician, as a veterinarian, there are going to be details that you are just not going to think about. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you're not intelligent. It doesn't mean you're not smart. It doesn't mean you're not well-read. It doesn't mean you might not even know some really great information that could be useful here. But if we don't have the full picture providing little snippets can actually be harmful in some cases. Mm-hmm. And, and this is something that I try to think about when, when, when I'm talking with trainers and behavior consultants is that I often get um, uh, a communications that's something along the lines of, well, I'm trying to be helpful. I want to do what's best for the dog. I want to help the clients. And, and yet I've, I've, I've been involved in countless scenarios where that help that was provided wasn't exactly helpful. And in some cases, they may have guided the client to either make a change, even without specifically stating it. They've given information in a way that the client is now moving forward with making a change, feeling like they've asked the right question to the right person, and they're now making changes to treatment that should have gone through the veterinary team. Uh, In other cases, it's a matter of, um, let's say we've got a trainer or behavior consultant who's working with a dog for fear-based aggression. And there's a suspicion that either because of how easily provoked uh, this dog happens to be, or the proportion of the dog's response to the scenario, maybe the persistence of their response, there's, there's a thought for the trainer or behavior consultant that this is a dog who may benefit from meds. It's really common in my experience for that individual to say, you know, I don't know if this is the right option for your dog, but some of the other dogs I've worked with have responded to meds like Prozac, for example. And the moment we mention a specific mm-hmm. medication, it sets the client expectation of Prozac might be helpful for yeah. my dog. Yeah. And now they're going to the vet saying, my trainer said that I should ask you about Prozac, which is a completely different thing from what the trainer said, but that's the expectation that was set based on the communication. Mm-hmm. And if the client is coming in now thinking about the framework of Prozac, positive or negative, Whoever the veterinarian is involved in that case now has to either decide, is that appropriate, yes or no? If it's not, we now have to work even harder to change that client's expectation than what we might have done 
otherwise. Mm -hmm. So all help is not necessarily helpful. Mm -hmm. and, and that for me is, is a really important detail. And so when I'm having these conversations with, uh, with trainers and behavior consultants, you know, again, I'm thinking about these sort of easy answers. And, and one of the most common statements that I hear from trainers or behavior consultants is in response to these, these questions is, well, I'm not a vet, but mm. in my opinion, that statement is, I'm not a vet, period. Period. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a vet, period, but that's a great question for your vet. Do you need any help sharing that information with them? And so we're able to create an, um, a conversation that, again, acknowledges the client's need for information, but redirects them to the source of where that information should be coming from. Yeah. And it's so powerful. And what I hear from the trainers or behavior consultants who have adopted that or similar strategies is how incredibly freeing it is to not feel like you're stuck trying to respond to that question that's really not within the training that you've had to truly respond to that in a meaningful, informative way. Yeah. I think there's, there's something about, I think, I mean, I definitely fell into this trap. One of my uh, wonderful colleagues and I were talking about this, about like the early days of our private practices and, and, and feeling like you need to know everything about everything. And so then you are worthy of the client's money, the client's time, like the whole, right. The whole thing, which honestly is like the opposite, like that, that, that honestly is not the best use of the client's money and time is if you're trying to be a jack of all trades, but a master of none. And she and I were just talking about how we finally got to the point where we were like, yep, like refer out to this, refer out to this, refer out to this, just because that's not what, like, get really clear on what it is that you do, do it well, and refer people out. I mean, I think it's important if you're a new trainer or even seasoned trainer that you don't have to be a master of all things and that you can refer out and get really clear on who you refer those things out to. Yes. And, and, and you know, coming back to this sort of staying in our lanes analogy mm -hmm. as well, I mean, literally earlier this week, I was doing a recheck for a client uh, and a patient. This is a dog who we are treating for a PTSD type reactions following a really severe dog-to-dog uh, -dog incident. Not going to go into the details on that. Mm -hmm. But the important thing here was this is a dog who actually functions as a service dog, as a mobility assist dog mm -hmm. for this owner who has autoimmune conditions and really requires this dog to perform in a specific way. Yeah. And so we came into this recheck. The dog is actually doing phenomenally well in response to treatment, which I'm grateful for. And she said, I've got some additional questions. I need to know a little bit more about some of the different, let's say, harness options that would provide me a bit more of this mobility assist that I need on the days mm -hmm. when I'm struggling. And I said, I'll be very honest with you my point of expertise is going to be helping your dog with his process of emotional recovery. When it comes to helping you with service dog capacities or equipment choices for service dogs, that's not my wheelhouse. Yeah. I would be doing no better than guessing and you deserve better than that. Mm -hmm. So what I would advise you to do is check in with the individuals who, who you have been working with and they've got a great team as well. So as a redirect of that question, I'm not your guy. I'm your guy for this. And we're yeah. doing great work over here. And once we get this scenario squared away, your dog will be functionally cleared for work again. And that's mm -hmm. amazing. And you'll be back to doing what you know how to do. But I'm going to help you here. Here, yeah. 
but this staying in lanes, it's not about, you know, like, as you said, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. It's not about trying to be everything for everyone. Mm-hmm. But we also have to be comfortable enough, not only with the concept of that, but also the word choices mm-hmm. to be able to communicate that back to the client and not feel in any way less than for expressing that. Yeah. And that's just a really important part of, you know, whether we're talking about medication use or any other aspect where maybe we are not the perfect individual to help with that aspect of that animal's plan. Mm-hmm. It's okay. And as you said, as you get more experience, you learn actually how helpful and necessary it is yeah. to say, not it. Not that's it. Not <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're not going to say it like that. Right. But, but like internally, right. We're, we're, it's like, Oh wow. That's just, so, that's not my wheelhouse. Like you said, and here is, here is someone else that that's their wheelhouse. Yeah, exactly. It's, really and then the important piece, it's very freeing. And it also, for me emphasizes, you know, this is now a little bit off topic with what we're focusing on today, but it emphasizes the importance of community mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. and having those people to be able to say, yeah, service dog work. That's not my thing but I know whose thing it is yeah. and she's amazing. And yeah. so if you're struggling in your area, then we'll make a connection for you and I'll be able to facilitate that, 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 that the response that you need, but it's not going to come from me because that's not my area. Yeah. So, so we're going to move on to the fourth scenario where we're faced with a client that is dedicated to the process, but their handling skills need improvement in order to reach the desired behavior goals for their dog. So how would you address this client in hopes of not making them feel self-conscious around their handling skills? Oh, gosh, that is such an important topic to be able to address. You know, we, we know how difficult it can be for clients who are new to this process, how mm-hmm. vulnerable they may feel, how clumsy or inadequate they may feel. And in some cases, you know, this even boils down to a client who feels like, gosh, you know, you as the trainer, I just want to hand you the leash and and, and you make this work because you're so Mm -hmm. much better at this than I am. Totally. And so how we handle that inadequacy can really, in some cases, make or break whether or not the client finds the confidence and the comfort to be able to move forward with whatever the plan is that we're creating together. So I think this is a really important thing to to talk about in, in, in terms of that client support. I want to pull back for just a second on this because I think in some ways there's a, there's a, a way that's almost a bit more global or universal that may be helpful when we have a, when we're anticipating a scenario where we may need to share some information that may be tough for the client to hear. Yeah. And this could be around, you know, you, you, your, your mind can race through all the different ways in which we may yeah. think about you know, difficult information for the client to hear. In some cases, this may be, um, you know, I, I feel like I need to kind of crack the whip a little bit to get them on board for, mm-hmm. for implementing uh, the, the plan. In other cases, we may be talking about some, some difficult uh, management changes. Regardless, one of the things that I'll often do is, is if I'm anticipating a scenario where I need to have kind of a tough love conversation with the client, I know that, I'm yes, I'm going to be leading with, with kindness and empathy, but I'm also going to ask the client. I may ask them something along the lines of, uh, if I have information or recommendations at any point in this process that I need to share with you, and if I think that that might be difficult for you to hear or maybe challenging some of what we're already doing, how do you want me to share that information? Yeah. What's the best way for me to get that to you? Do you want me to shoot you a quick email? Do you need a heads up? 
do we need a you know sort of the equivalent yeah. of a trigger warning mm-hmm. to basically say mm-hmm. hey we've got some we've got some tough stuff is now a good time now, would that yeah. be a good thing for you or are you sort of a bold in your face communicator and i can just throw it in as however it comes to me and i don't necessarily need to worry about my filter what works for you and so if i'm asking that ahead of time what that allows me to do is to to basically acknowledge that the client has given me permission to interact with them in a certain way. And so then when that situation comes up, in this case, let's say we're talking about their handling skills, mm-hmm. then, then again, I can sort of introduce that information in whatever way they've already given me permission to do. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, there may, I may be working with a client where maybe I didn't think to ask this question and I'm looking at them in front of me and they're fumbling with the leash and they're all over the place. We have to be a little bit uh, strategic, not manipulative, but strategic, meaning I may want to just jump in there mm-hmm. and help. But if I'm not sure the best way to do that, I may stagger this out a bit. So I may say, hey, sidebar here for just a second. If we're ever working through some stuff, blah, 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 and I ask that same question, if we're ever working through some stuff uh, and I need to share some information that may be difficult to hear, how do you want to hear that? Awesome. Cool. Let's go back to what we're doing. And then we're just going to dive on in. What I don't want to do is then pounce on them in that moment. Yeah. Cool. You've told me I can be blunt. Awesome. Because your handling sucks. (laughs) Right? Like that's not going to be helpful. Um, so Let me get the quick people. permission and then slam you. <laughs> right. Like it, it, that, that really undermines trust and yeah, confidence really, totally. really quickly. To be respectful of the client say, yeah, that's awesome. Let's move on. Let's do something else. And it may be 15 minutes later, it may be three sessions later that I find that perfect opportunity to bring this around. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, it's making sure that we, you know, to the best of our ability, we find that way to communicate that difficult information. And if we haven't done that yet, as is often the case, even in my practice, I don't always remember to ask that question before when I really wish that I had. Mm-hmm. And so in that case, if I find myself in a difficult situation, let's say I'm working through a particular exercise and I'm seeing this deficit of handling skills, I may do a couple of different things. One, I may say, hey, let's take a little break. I can see that Sparky's getting a little stressed right now. We've been working for a while. Let's give everybody a break. I've got some things that I want to talk through with you. And then we can change gears and move on a little bit. And I might ask them, you know, as we're getting started with this, quick question for you. How would you rate your skills in this? How do you feel like you're doing? How comfortable Mm -hmm. does this feel? You know, and you can use, you know, from one to 10, from A to F, although I'm not a huge fan of the, the A to F grading scale. But whatever feels comfortable to the client, how, how do you feel like you're doing? And what I like about that is it allows me to acknowledge if the client says, you know, man, I am an F student. I can feel that. Yeah. I'm fumbling all over the place. Then at least I know that the client is aware that they're struggling. Mm-hmm. I don't need to point that out to them for them to realize that. Mm-hmm. I can then create some opportunities to say, yeah, I, this, this looks like it's difficult. I can tell you haven't done this before and there's going to be some muscle memory that we need to create. So let's work through some exercises that allow us to build that. So I can kind of get their self-assessment and then figure out and what does that client need in order to go from an F to a D, from a D to a C, from a C to a B yeah. and eventually get to that A plus student that we're looking for them to be. And I don't necessarily need to point out their weaknesses in yeah. order to maximize their strengths or to build new strengths that they may not have 
right at that at that that starting point. So yeah, so those are a couple of things. Um, I've got a couple of other techniques too, but are there any thoughts that come to mind for you on that before we get into these, these other details? Yeah, the one thing that comes to mind, uh, when I started as the behavior manager at Dumb Friends League, I um, sat down with the individual staff members and we created a designed alliance or a communication plan. And I asked them this question, like if I have something hard to say, how would you like that to be delivered in person? in email, you want me to give you a heads up, like all of that. And a lot of them didn't know the answer to that because it was something that really had not been asked of them, whether like personally or professionally. And I, I'm, I'm curious to know if you have that experience with clients, the clients are like, uh, I don't know, like just tell me and see how it lands and then we'll move from there. <laughs> or I mean, like what happens how do clients answer that? Or do a lot of them sort of like have a moment and go, you know, just shoot me an email. And then if that doesn't work, I'll let you know or something like that. I think it's all over the map. I think there okay. are some people who really appreciate having the question asked and they're very clear about how they like to receive that information. Mm -hmm. Are they I from the East many Coast? Of them, <laughs> just kidding. Pardon me? I said, are they from the East Coast? <laughs> Almost always, yes. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Do that that direct communication style. It's I am know, they, from they, Jersey, so it yes. <laughs> yeah, and the people who know that really know that. Yeah, right? they, they they get that and they understand that. And so you know, in some cases, they're they're just appreciative of having mm -hmm. been asked the question, and they're able to share that very freely. I, I do think many of my clients kind of fumble a little bit because they yeah. don't actually know the answer. May have never taken the time to. Th Think about think what about the answer it. to that question would be, um, and I don't want to make them feel more awkward by sitting, you know, <laughs> staring at them and just waiting for them to respond. So I'll say, you know, something as you said. Let's see how it lands. You know, I'll just let you know. I'm going to default to my communication style unless or until I hear differently from yeah. you. Yeah. Oh, I like that. So, yeah, and it's because that's what that's what we all do, right? If if we totally. haven't asked the question, if we haven't thought outside of ourselves, we default. To, to what we, do. we would normally do. Um, so I'll, I'll just name that for the client and just put that right out there. I'm gonna default to that. If you think that this could be handled differently, please do not hesitate to let me know. I'm happy to adapt. I'm happy to evolve. I'm happy to, to work with you in the way that makes the most sense for you. Just let me know. Yeah. And and again, it's, it's creating that opportunity where they can say, hey, this needs to go a little bit different for me. Yeah. And they know that that's okay. So I, yeah. I love being able to create that freedom for the clients. I love that. Thanks for answering that. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, and I think there's so many ways when, we, when it comes to building skills that may not be there from the get-go. I think there's so many ways to do that. And some of the things that we may even do within our, our client consults is, let's say I'm working with a, a dog who struggles with fear or emotional arousal or reactivity or whatever we're calling it. And we're trying to coach a client who doesn't have the mechanical skills yet to really work that dog effectively. One of the techniques that we've used uh, with some of our clients is, is using one of our staff pets who perhaps already knows some of these skills. So let's say I'm trying to teach, uh, I want this client to teach their dog a U-turn, for example. And they're fumbling and they're tripping and they just can't quite get it right. What would that look like if I swapped out their dog for a dog who already knows how to do the U-turn? And I allowed them to actually start to practice that muscle memory of what it looks like to slow it down, cue a U-turn and feel what that actually feels like so that they know what they're aiming for mm -hmm. versus fumbling their way through it, you know, one step at a time. 
So in some cases, we may do that. What I also love about that particular technique is that it often removes or at least minimizes some of the emotional weight that clients are feeling. Like they don't want to screw up this dog. This dog is already sort of you know, in need of help. And they're trying to do their best, but they're worried about not being as helpful as that dog needs Mm -hmm. them to be. So what if we can work with a dog who has a bit more resilience, who already has the skill set? And it's not their dog, so the emotional weight of that treatment process is less relevant. It sometimes really clears the way for that learner to be a lot more successful in practicing and developing those those physical skills uh, as we're talking about handling. That, that we want them to, to, to be able to, to achieve and to master. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a sort of initial skill. Obviously, we don't always have a dog immediately handy for that. Sometimes it's a, a very specialized skill, and that's, that, that technique is just not available to us. But if it is, it can be really powerful. Yeah, in that's a great idea. Okay, so we are on to our last scenario, and we're faced with a client that has had dogs their whole life, and they think they know everything. I'm sure you, you or our listeners have never, ever heard this. Um, examples include, I see what you're saying about my dog exhibiting displacement behaviors, which indicate stress. However, my dog is fine. Or another common statement might be, I understand why we wouldn't want to punish the dog for doing this behavior, but it works. So why not continue to punish the dog? So what would Dr. Pockle say? <laughs> I love these scenarios. This is so much fun. Um, you know, I think, you know, in, in these scenarios, it's, it's important to tread lightly mm-hmm. because this is a client who is, is, you know, by these scenarios is already, they already think they know what's going on. And just by nature of me having a different opinion, I am likely going to be challenging some of those emotionally held beliefs that we talked about a little Mm -hmm. bit earlier. And so if I just come out and say, well, you're wrong. No, your dog is really stressed. I'm sorry that you can't see that, but blah, 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 blah. What does that do for their perception? They dig in. It more likely creates defensiveness and actually sort of undermines the relationship that we're trying to build with that client rather than Mm -hmm. facilitating this process of behavior change. So if I have a client who, who just doesn't get it or is seeing things through a different lens, one of the more common techniques I use would be to, to start out by acknowledging the fact that they actually know their dog better than anybody mm-hmm. else does. Mm-hmm. And I build on that. And literally, I'll say something like, you know, as, as, as soon as I understand where we need to go with this communication, I literally may say, you know your dog better than anyone. and I've been working with a lot of dogs for a long period of time. Can I share with you what I've learned about dogs? And then together we can figure out which pieces of that actually are appropriate for your dog. Can we do that together? Brilliance. Brilliance. I wish people could see my face right now. Brilliant. (laughs) It's priceless for those of you who can't see it. It's amazing. Kindness, yet not undermining our experience, right? I mean, it's all, it's like, it's, it's, it's creating space for their experience, our experience, and then collaboration. So exactly brilliant. Right. Yeah. Okay. It, it works so well. And, and even if, yeah, it, it, it just, it does, it creates that space for us to be able to have a conversation mm-hmm. and I'm not challenging their belief. Mm-hmm. I'm not overemphasizing my expertise. 
but I'm acknowledging both aspects and acknowledging what we can do when we put those two pieces of information together. Mm -hmm. um, it's so incredibly powerful. And, and one of the things that I like to, uh, you know, I've talked about these, some of these permission statements where we're asking the client permission in one way or another. One of the things that I love about that is that really you're going to get one of two answers. Either the client says, yes, I give you permission to share, in which case the conversation continues forward. Or in rare cases, the client says, no, mm -hmm. I'm not really interested in hearing about that. That's not why I'm here today. Or perhaps we are trying to offer them unsolicited advice about something mm -hmm. and they're just not interested in hearing. And what I love about it, when the client says no, then I can say at that point in time in my head, okay, that's not my responsibility to address today. I may tell the client if that ever be, you know, if it ever uh, rises to the top of your concern list or if that's something you ever want to learn more about, I'd love to share information, but let's move on for today. So I've, I've allowed the client to see that, yeah, I'm a resource to help them with that other issue, but we get to work on their agenda that's in front of us uh, in that hmm. moment. So the permission statements can carry a lot of weight in a lot of different ways. Now, also, when we, if we're thinking about this scenario where the, the client is sort of the, let's say, the self-proclaimed expert of, of the things, whatever that happens to be, um, I may come back to that curiosity piece that you and I have chatted about before and ask them a question, something along the lines of, you know, as you've gotten to know this dog, especially if they've had other dogs in their past, is there anything you've learned about this dog that's a little quirky compared to what you knew about other dogs? Is there anything that's different? Is there anything that required you to kind of adapt or rethink the way you're approaching this particular mm -hmm. dog? And what I'm trying to do with that is not necessarily be very specific about the thing that's different. It's actually not important to me what it is that they say. What I'm trying to do is create and, and foster that awareness that each learner is different. Mm -hmm. And we may need to actually adapt, even though we may be an expert and have done this 37 times, there may be something that's unique about this particular learner that requires a slightly or a greatly different modification of the technique. I remember there was a, there was, this was back when I was practicing uh, in Minnesota. So this is now pre 2010. Um, and I had a particular summer. I don't remember why it was summer, but I do. And I had two different clients that I saw about three weeks apart. And both of them were breeders. One was a breeder of standard poodles. The other was a breeder of yellow Labradors. And I remember both of them saying something almost verbatim identical. I've been doing this for 30 years. This dog is pushing all my buttons and I don't know what to do next. Mm -hmm. And what I love for those clients was that they were able to see number one, I know a lot. And number two, I don't know this. Yeah. There's something here that is different. Mm -hmm. And so even if we can create a conversation around acknowledging differences, that sometimes gives us an inroad to then talk about some additional strategies that, that the behaviorist or the trainer or the behavior consultant may have in their toolbox that are just not familiar to that particular client yet. Um, and, 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 you know, and depending on how that client is positioned or what their background is, there's a lot of different ways to do that. Um, if I know already that this is a, if, that the client is a parent of more than one children, I may even jump species for a second mm -hmm. and ask them if there's ever been any scenarios where they tried to parent both of their kids or multiple kids in the exact same way, only to see it really succeed for one and perhaps not succeed or downright fail 
for the other. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm just trying to create that moment of awareness that we may need to be somewhat flexible if we're asking something different of that unique learner mm-hmm. and creating an opportunity that, you know, coming back to those, those statements that we started out with, um, where the client is on a different perspective or a different mindset, we're just creating a little space over here where we can try to get them to acknowledge, huh, sometimes we got to do things a little bit differently than what, than what we might otherwise uh, naturally do. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know, brings me to one of the, the, the last things that I'm thinking about here. And, and this is, you know, especially all of the baggage and that emotional weight around those punishment statements that, you know, that you mentioned within that second scenario. And I think one of the best ways that I try to, anal- uh, to, to analyze or to, to move that client forward is if they tell me something along the lines of it works, you know, punishment, reinforcement, whatever it happens to be, I'm doing it because it works. I immediately, in my brain, go into question mode, being curious. Again, mm-hmm. here it comes again. And I may say, hold on, let's a little sidebar for a second. When you say that it works, what does that mean to you? What does that mean? Mm-hmm. And in some cases, the clients really have a difficult time answering it because they've never been asked the question before, so they've never really put words to that thought. In other cases, they may say, oh, well, it stops the behavior. Cool. And then I have them ask a follow-up question. Cool. So I, that, that's awesome to know that when you do X, it stops that behavior in the moment. Follow-up question for you. Does it feel like that's making a difference the next time around? Yeah. And what most clients, especially people, even some people with a moderate level of experience with dogs or with behavior change, sometimes forget is that there's a difference between something that acts as an interruption Mm -hmm. that does, in fact, stop the behavior in the moment but doesn't change it in the future Mm -hmm. versus something that's actually creating lasting behavior change. And so if, if I'm able to, to, to ask questions in a way that allows the, the, the owner or the client to identify that difference between those two outcomes, now I've got a window of opportunity to be able to engage that conversation yeah. further. I just Maybe had this conversation the other day. I'm like, so it works in that moment. And is it going down in general? And they're like, no. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, awesome. it's, just a, it's a great way to ask more questions and get more curious about it so that we can then further the conversation versus making them wrong that they decided to use a leash correction or something like that. Exactly right. Yeah. And, and I think so many of us, especially, and, I, and I, I, I've done this in, in my moments as well, so I'm not pointing fingers at anybody, mm-hmm. but how many times has our brain jump in and see, you know, we, we jump in and say, see, see, that's why we shouldn't do the leash corrections. Yeah. We've got all of this punishment fallout and we've got, and the client's like, whoa, you know, what just happened here? Let me send you some research papers on this and you can dive into those and find, like, I mean, it's not going to happen. I have 37 citations related to punishment, <laughs> which is all great information for mm-hmm. trainers and behavior consultants to know and not always useful for our clients totally. to be bombarded with. And, and I love, you know, as, as you phrase that response to the client, you know, it's kind of that, hmm, so it's not making a lasting difference? No. Huh. Permission statement time. Yeah. If I knew of a way that might actually allow us to create lasting behavior change, would you be open to hearing more about that? Yeah. Yes or no? Our faces. (laughs) If they they say yes, awesome. There's our window. Can I share with you this? So these permission statements are so powerful 
in terms of opening up the opportunity for these conversations to happen. And so, you know, as I think about all of these different, these conversations and techniques that we've been chatting about today, I mean, there's a couple of key themes, right? We're talking about mm-hmm. kindness and empathy, creating space for conversations, asking permission, mm-hmm. asking how the client wants to be communicated with ahead of time so we can do that comfortably when the moments occur. These themes are present throughout so many of these different scenarios. Mm-hmm. And as we practice them, they become more and more comfortable and more and more our own. And we find the way to utilize these things for ourselves. So it's not only what would Dr. Pockle say, but what would I say Mm -hmm. incorporating some of these techniques and ideas that we know to be really effective. I love that you just brought that up because I'm in the process. I've been in the process of redesigning how I'm showing up, what I'm saying, what I'm doing when, I'm sort of looking at all my internal processes uh, with, with clients and how I'm structuring sessions. And I just want to remind listeners to, you know, as you're listening to this, potentially write down like, oh, you know what, I'm going to try on one of the suggestions that Dr. Pockle said and maybe sort of role play that or make a checklist for yourself or do something to get yourself practicing this skill because sometimes you go into sessions and you just have this sort of like you're, you're you like press play it, do you know what i'm saying and 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 you lean into old habits maybe and i have found that as i'm trying to redefine how I'm showing up in some of these sessions, that it's important for me to have a checklist, have those reminders, um, you know, do some of this outside of a session with a client. So on my own with a friend, with, with a colleague, so that I can feel my behavior change more confidently before I'm with the client. So it's just something I'm going through right now. And like, as I'm listening to, you know, to you today, I'm really resonating with like, wow, I really want to put that in there and this in there. And I'm already preparing myself to practice it before I'm in the real game, um, similar to what we do with our canines. So, you know, I just, I just want to help myself generalize these skills so that I'm showing up to my full potential with a client. So I, I love that you brought that up. Yeah. And, it, and it's so important that, you know, we can start with scripts and we can start with mm-hmm. someone else's words. But at some point, we do have to internalize it. Totally. We have to, 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 to make it our own, utilizing mm-hmm. the reasons why these particular scripts work for me. Mm-hmm. The specific words might be different for someone totally. else. And you can make it authentically you. Mm-hmm. And you can practice it to a way where it becomes just the way that you communicate without it feeling like you're reading a script or just yeah. memorizing a set of words. And mm-hmm. that's when you really start to feel that confidence mm-hmm. and that level of mastery, if you will, not that we are ever masters in anything, right? We yeah. never hit that point yeah. where we go, oh, finally, I've got all the words now. No, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, an, it's a constant evolution. But we get to that point where we feel comfortable to mm-hmm. utilize those skills and those words and those communication strategies in, in, in everyday life. But it, but it does take time. And the mm-hmm. most important thing is to remain authentic. And if you're not at that point where you can do that yet, don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. It takes practice, it takes effort, but it's, it's worth it. And as long mm-hmm. as you remain sort of authentic to your process and where you are within that, it works. Yeah. It just does. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Where can folks find you online? 
Yeah, there's a couple of different places where they can look. If they're looking for information specifically related to the practice, uh, the Animal Behavior Clinic, um, the website there is the animalbehaviorclinic.net. People are also welcome to connect with me social media wise, uh, either on Facebook or on Instagram. Um, and I will say we are so, so, so close to the launching of a new website, uh, www.drpockle.com. Um, and that is going to be a place where there'll be information not only about the veterinary behavior practice, but also place for, for media uh, pieces mm -hmm. like this, uh, telephone interviews, uh, television pieces, blog posts, all of the sort of resources, things that I've been an active part of. So if you're looking for more resources and, and information about sort of what I've done or things that I've contributed to, uh, watch out for that. It's going to be coming relatively soon. Uh, again, that's drpockle.com. That's so exciting. Uh, everything is in one spot. Well, again, thank you so much. I always enjoy chatting with you. But, uh, it's an honor to have you on the show. And uh, thank you everyone for listening and joining us today. I'm Marissa Martino, owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training in Boulder, Colorado. And you can find me online at pauseandreward.com. Before we go, be sure to subscribe to Canine Conversations wherever you find your podcasts. You can find episode notes and bonus materials at canineconvos.com. You can also contact us at hello at canineconvos.com. That's canine all spelled out. We'd love to hear from you. Our theme music is called Funny Song and it's provided royalty free from bensound.com. Our audio is mixed and edited by the lovely James Edie at beherd.org.uk. And lastly, our logo is from Walker Hooper. You can find his work on Instagram at walkers underscore username. Thanks so much, everyone.